You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. I'd like for you to join me this morning in Joshua chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 1. We're in a sermon series called Rhythms. And in this series, we're looking at God's desire to use the normal flow of our everyday lives for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Uh, We have already looked at the subjects of eating uh, with that hospitality. Uh, We've looked at Sabbath rest. Uh, We've looked at work. Uh, We have looked at worship. Uh, And today, uh, we're going to look at the rhythm of the Word. There are two foundational truths uh, that are critically important for today's rhythm. Uh, Very simple. Number one is this. It is possible to know and meet with God. Now, some people would disagree with that statement. They do not believe that God is knowable, uh, that he desires to have fellowship with us. Uh, And so we believe that it is possible to know and meet with God. And if that is true, and we believe that it is, then number two, we should meet with God on a consistent daily basis. Uh, It should be a part of the rhythm of our lives. Uh, I, I like to think of it each day as my appointment with God. We, we make appointments for a lot of things, don't we? If you're going to go see your doctor, you make an appointment. If you're going to go to the dentist, you make an appointment. I had to go get my eyes examined this past week. I had to make an appointment. Uh, I can't think of a more important appointment than the one that you have with God every day. And if you can go day after day after day or week after week and, and not keep an appointment with God, then, then there's something wrong with your spiritual walk. That's why we call these rhythms. Now, you may have heard this referred to as quiet time. Maybe you call it that, and that's okay. Maybe you call it your devotions, your devotional life, whatever you may call it, your, your time with God. Uh, we would define it this way. It is part of the day that we set aside for the worship of God, so not just on Sunday, set aside for the worship of God, for the reading of the Word of God, or the intake of the Word of God, and for fellowship with God, So that we would know him better, know him more, know ourselves in light of who God is and know the world according to his perspective. This is critically important. And we've seen uh, what can happen over the last couple of years, especially if people are not leaning into the word of God each and every day. And, And not only themselves getting into the word, but the word getting into them. Because something is discipling you. And for a lot of people over the last couple of years, it's been the news cycle. I've talked to people who literally just sit and just like just listen to the news, watch the news all day long, it seems. And I've even heard of doctors telling their patients, you need to quit watching the news so much. It's creating anxiety in you. And so daily, we need to spend time in the Word. In other words, this rhythm recalibrates our perspective on the world according to God's perspective on the world. Uh, and so it, it, it pushes against the idea of seeing everything, for example, through a political lens. Uh, and so you will, you will see things through uh, the lens of God's Word. We should be developing a biblical worldview. This is how we do that. And so uh, it is a key aspect, this idea of meeting with God every day and spending time in His Word. You've got to remember, fundamentally, the Bible is a book about God. It's a book written by God about God. And we tend to many times read scripture as if we are the central figure. And so then you become the David uh, who slays Goliath, right? 
I've got these giants in my life, and I can slay Goliath. You become the Daniel in the lion's den. You become the hero of the story. The Bible is fundamentally not a book about you and me. It's a book about God. I say it this way many times, and it's, it can easy, easily be misunderstood, but the Bible is fundamentally a book about people who have a problem with God, and that problem is sin. And, but the great thing is, that's not the end of the story. Because the, the, the central story of Scripture is that God has a plan for that problem. And that, that plan is the redemptive work of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the heart of the gospel. Uh, and so uh, Scripture is so important. It contains the message of salvation. It will lead us away from sin. It will remind us that we are not made for this temporal world. It will tell us the truth of God and the truth about ourselves. It is a book about God. It's not a book that we should read to simply make ourselves better people. You may go down to Barnes & Noble, I guess those still exist, and you may find copies of the Bible in the self-help section. That's really not what the Bible is. It's not self-help. It's not to make us better people. When we read it, we should be asking ourselves, what does this tell me about God, about His character, about His nature, about His purposes? How can I apply that to my life? Now, being busy is often a real hindrance to spending time with the Lord, to keeping that appointment. And most of us are incredibly busy people, Uh, even those of you who are retired. I sometimes talk to retired people, and they say, I feel like I'm busier now than I was when I was working. Because you can fill up your time with other stuff. And just some of you are just bad at retirement, okay? Uh, And that's okay. I mean, uh, but we're busy with work and school and family and even church and countless other things that vie for our time. But you've got to remember the example of the Lord Jesus himself who gave his life for other people. He came to to serve, not to be served. And so he, he literally gave his life to healing and teaching and reaching numerous people. People flocked to him. And yet, Scripture makes it clear to us that he made time to get away and to have fellowship with the Father. Donald Whitney, whose uh, books I would recommend, all of them. Uh, Donald Whitley, I, I think, is still uh, a dean. He's a professor of spiritual formation at Southern Seminary. He's written uh, a book on the spiritual disciplines that I would recommend. In fact, he covers some of the, the rhythms in that book that we're not even going to cover in this series, like fasting, for example. Uh, great work. Uh, he has a book on praying the Bible, how to pray scripture. He has a book on family worship. Uh, but Donald Whitney uh, has laid out five ways that we can get into the Word, uh, or more importantly, get the Word into us. He calls these five means of Bible intake, as he calls it. This would really make up the rhythm of the word. And so there is hearing, there's reading, there is studying, there's memorizing, and there's meditating. Uh, A number of years ago, when I was in my first pastorate in little Clarksville, Texas, up here near Paris, I uh, was preaching a message on the importance of the word of God in our everyday lives. And Uh, I started that message by asking our little congregation there, I said, how many of you would say that on a regular basis you are hearing the Word of God, whether it's listening to a sermon or you're listening to an audio recording? Back at that time, it seemed like Alexander Scorby was the go-to guy who was like the, you know, the narrator that had that golden voice who could read Scripture. How many of you are hearing the Word of God? Scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. A lot of people raised their hands, and we even did a, a campaign there at the time Uh, called Faith Comes by Hearing, and people could purchase, at that time, cassette tapes. 
Some of you kids have to go home and ask your parents about cassette tapes, okay? We could get cassette tapes, and you could listen to the Bible. And so we encouraged our people, when they're washing dishes or doing whatever you're doing, you listen to the Word of God. When you're driving down the road, listen to the Word of God. Uh, Then I asked, I said, how many of you would say on a regular, consistent basis you are reading the Bible? A few hands went down. There's still quite a few hands up, reading the Bible. And I said, how many of you would say that you study your Bible? Quite a few hands went down. Then I said this. I said, how many of you would say that you regularly, consistently are memorizing Scripture? Now there are very few hands raised. Then I said, how many of you meditate on Scripture? I got this kind of puzzled look from a lot of people because there's a lot of confusion about what meditation is. Do I have your attention now? I hope I do. Uh, Ooh, okay. So my heart rate just jumped. Don Whitney describes it like this. He says, if reading the Bible can be compared to cruising the width of a clear, sparkling lake in a motorboat, studying the Bible is like slowly crossing that same lake in a glass-bottomed boat. Crossing the lake in a boat gives us a sweeping overview of the lake, and we can get an idea of its depths from just being out on the boat and in the water. But the glass-bottom boat of studying the Bible takes you beneath the surface for the clarity and detail that would be otherwise impossible for those who just pass by quickly. When a lot of Christians hear that example, they would have to say, most of my engagement with the Word of God is in a bass boat speeding across the surface of the water trying to get to that fishing hole where occasionally I drop a line. But in reality, God intends for us to engage more with his word. And so of those five means of biblical intake, again, it's not just about us getting into the word, but more importantly about the word getting into us, I would say all five of those things are critically important. And I always use the example of my hand. If there are five means for biblical intake, and then they correspond to the five fingers on your hand. And if I want to get a firm grasp on the Word of God, I want to have all five of those fingers. I want to use all of them. I can pick up my Bible with just two fingers. But I'm not going to have, a, I'm not going to have the firm grasp on it that I would if I'm using all five fingers. And so it's critically important that we're not only hearing the Word of God, but we're reading the Word of God, we're studying the Word of God, we're memorizing the Word of God, and meditating on the Word of God. You've got to think about this. Men actually died so that we could read God's Word. William Tyndale was burned alive to get God's Word to us. So we have the privilege and the gift of holding in our hands and seeing with our eyes the very Word of God. These are not just, it's not just a collection of good stories. This is not just good literature. We're talking about the Word of God. And if that thought alone doesn't impress you toward diving into God's Word on a more consistent basis, then I don't know what will. This is God's Word to us. So today what we're going to do is we're going to focus our attention and the remainder of our time together on what I believe uh, of those five means of biblical intake to be the most misunderstood and the least practiced of the five means of biblical intake, and that is meditation. Meditation. Uh, I, I think the reason that it is not practiced as it should be is because it is not understood 
as it should be. If you look up the word meditate in the dictionary, you will probably find a, a definition that sounds something like this. It's to engage in thought or contemplation, to reflect. I think that's a pretty helpful definition, especially in light of the common ideas of meditation today. For example, if you Google, if you Google the word meditate, most of what you will find are links that speak to trying to relax yourself, meditating for the sake of good health, uh, Buddhist meditation techniques, or the healing power of meditation. It's some kind of Eastern mysticism, um, an emptying of the mind. In fact, the Wikipedia uh, entry defines meditation as a mental discipline by which one attempts to get beyond the conditioned thinking mind into a deeper state of relaxation or awareness. It's called transcendental meditation many times. This is not our goal. This is not what we're talking about when we talk about biblical meditation. Uh, in fact, it, you, you could, you could go into, they'll give you all sorts of steps and things you can do, even to the point of uttering words that really make little sense. Uh, they're mainly vibrations. That's why many times when you think of meditation, what is the first thing you do? You go, um, right? Because that, that is very much a part of that type of transcendental meditation where one empties their mind. Biblical meditation is not an emptying of the mind. It is actually a filling of the mind with the truths of the Word of God. Okay, More of who God is. The Puritan Thomas Watson defined meditation as a holy exercise of the mind whereby we bring the truths of God to remembrance and do seriously ponder upon them and apply them to ourselves. Edmund Calamy wrote this. He said, A true meditation is when a man doth so meditate of Christ as to get his heart inflamed with the love of Christ, so meditate on the truths of God as to be transformed by them, and so meditate of sin as to get his heart to hate sin. You see the difference? So we're going to give our attention to Joshua chapter 1 this morning, verses 1 through 9 as our text. And I want to kind of bring you up to speed, so to speak. I want to do the Sports Center version of, of where things are in Scripture at this point. God had made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, Jacob, also called Israel, had 12 sons. One of those sons was sold into Egyptian slavery by his brothers. And Scripture tells us what they meant for evil, God uh, meant for good. And through a series of events recorded at the end of the first book of the Bible, uh, we call it Genesis, uh, Joseph rose into power as the second in command uh, over all of Egypt under Pharaoh. Due to a great famine in the land, Jacob's family came down to Egypt where they prospered and became a great nation. So much so that one of the new kings, who did not know Joseph, oppressed and enslaved the Israelites for fear that they would revolt and overtake them. So God raised up a leader, a guy by the name of Moses, who led the people on an exodus out of Egypt and toward the promised land, land that God had promised to his people Israel. Tragically, uh, their failure to keep God's commands manifested itself through grumbling and more grumbling and more grumbling and idolatry, and more idolatry, and a general distrust of God's care and God's provision. And about the time you uh, get into the thick of their story, and their wilderness wanderings, and all those things, and you start clucking your tongue with pride at these Israeli people, and their wanderings, and their driftings from God, the next thing you do is realize, that's kind of me. <laughs> prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
How quickly I forget the blessings of God and the provision of God and even the grace of God. That's why we need to proclaim the gospel to ourselves every day. One account of uh, this uh, idolatry and grumbling and distrust of God's care and provision uh, is found in the fourth book of the Bible. We call it the book of Numbers, chapter 13. God told them to send 12 spies to evaluate the land that was Uh, that God was giving to them. And rather than being filled with faith, they returned and said the people are so strong, the cities are very large, they are fortified, and it's filled with warrior people who appear to be impossible to overtake. They even said we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and appeared so to them as well. Because of their lack of faith in God's promise, he made them wander in the desert for 40 years until that generation had died off. All of the leaders died before entering the land, except two. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who said that they should trust in God and take the land. Even Moses, the great leader of the people, was not allowed to lead the people into the land. And that's where we pick up the book of Joshua. Chapter 1, where the people are once again, 40 years later, standing on the edge of promise. So let's look at it together, verses 1 through 9 of Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. You're probably most familiar with these last two verses that we're going to look at today. This book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go." So our goal of meditation is not to empty our mind, but instead to fill our mind with the truth of God. Biblical meditation focuses on the objective truth of who God is as revealed through his word. And so here in our text, God commands Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. You think of Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 speaks of meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. So this morning I want us to first consider the content of meditation. The content 
of meditation. It's something we have to understand. What does he say here? This book of the law given by God. It was God's word to them at that time. This is what they had, okay? The, the first five books of the law, the Pentateuch. And so this was the word of God. You want to know God? Pick up the book. You want to know God? Dive into the book. This is how you get to know God. Pick up the word of God and marinate in it. So if God has revealed himself through his spirit-inspired and inerrant word, then we should not be surprised by the incredible benefits contained there. This is not just a book that came together by happenstance. This is a miraculous book. Scripture tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theopneustia. It is literally breathed out by God. And God miraculously used these human authors, their personalities, their makeup, all of those things to pen the words that he intended perfectly for us. That he intended for his word. That's what we have in the word of God. So if this morning maybe you need a little more encouragement to, to get into the word of God, to get the word of God into you, I'll let the word speak for itself. I jotted down just a few things that came to mind as far as images of scripture itself. We're told in Psalm 119, where we just read from this morning, but in verse 105, that the word is a lamp and a light. That is, it counsels us, it guides us. It illumines the path for us. In James chapter 1, the word of God is likened to a mirror. It reveals to us who we really are. It reveals to us. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 23, the word is like a fire and a hammer. In other words, the word sanctifies us. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 6, the word is likened to a sword. A two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. In Matthew chapter 4 and in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the word is like bread. The word gives us life. So after the Israelites renewed the covenant a short time before the death of Moses uh, that we just read about here in Joshua chapter 1 even, Moses addressed the Israelites by saying these powerful words. This is almost like a, a postscript to this song that he has just uh, given in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And it says this, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Notice what it says next. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. That's the content of meditation. That's the, it's not an emptying of your mind. It's not going to some, uh, some surreal sort of place where you're just completely emptied of, of, of any kind of thinking and contemplating. No, it's quite the opposite. It is filling your mind with the things of God. That's the content of meditation. This book of the law shall not depart from you, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Here's the second thing. I want you to notice the command of meditation. It's clear from Scripture here that this is not a suggestion. It's not presented as something that's optional or even just a good idea. Um, I recently was able to, to get a new vehicle. And so, moment of silence for the swag wagon. It's uh, Somebody else is driving it. I hope it's still going. I, I don't know, but it was time. Okay, it was just time. 
And so I, when I, I went and started doing some car shopping, I, you know, you quickly realize that there are a lot of things that you can get on a car today. All kinds of bells and whistles and stuff and things that all cost lots of money, right? And so there's these different packages that you can get and these safety features and this thing and that thing. And so, you know, Christy and I had to get together and go, okay, what are the things that are like non-negotiable for us? Like, do, do we have to have a sunroof? No, don't have to have a sunroof. Do we have to have an automatic gate? Do we, no, don't have to have, you know. Finally, it came down, I just pretty much want this base model, okay? This is what I want. But, but even with that, there are certain things that are not optional, like as much as I wanted to, I couldn't go, hey, check it out. How much would it reduce the price of the car if I went without the steering wheel? Okay? <laughs> it's not optional. Okay? So the, the, the idea of meditation here is not presented as a choice that you might make on this buffet of biblical intake. No, it's mandated. It's commanded. The NIV is even more emphatic because it starts verse number 8 by saying this, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. It's imperative. It's a command, not a suggestion. It's not just for people in ministry who do ministry professionally. It's not something that's reserved for the the super saint or uh, the super Christian as if there were such a thing. This is for all of God's people. And I think one of the reasons that we sometimes neglect this biblical practice, this rhythm, is because it's relegated to those who are more holy. You know, you think of monks in a monastery. What do they do all day? Well, they sit and meditate, right? No, that's not the idea. So many times we approach the imperatives of Scripture, God's commands, as though they are nice options for us to consider or something that if we get around to it and it's convenient for us, we'll engage in that practice. That's not what this is. We're commanded. So keep the command of meditation. Thirdly, I want us to consider the manner of meditation. It's something to be practiced. So what does that look like? And that's probably the big question that you're asking right now. Well, then what should meditation look like if it's not this, this strange you know, Eastern form of emptying my mind and entering into some kind of a re- weird realm mentally? Then how do I actually put this into practice? Well, the text here says, from your mouth. Notice that phrase? It refers to the custom of muttering while studying or reflecting. I want to ask for a show of hands this morning, but how many of you ever talk to yourselves? It's okay. I'm with you, okay? Um, That's a form of muttering, okay? And that's okay. I, I can remember when I was a, a communications student, my undergrad degree, and I had to, for my senior project, I had to memorize this, all these lines for this big presentation that we were doing. And I had a lot. I was like the MC of the program. And I mean, I'm given just page after page after page of text that I had to commit to memory. And so what I would have to do literally is just like lock myself into a closet almost, and I would just have to continually just mutter those words. I would just have to like say them out loud over and over and over again is what I had to do. The Hebrew word translated meditate, haka, it, it literally means mutter. And so when one continually mutters God's word to himself, he is constantly thinking about it. I'm not suggesting that this is something you have to do audibly, okay? You can meditate sitting in a hospital waiting room or or anywhere else and people not look at you like you're a weirdo. 
Okay? And I would also say this. Sometimes we think of, 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 of thinking deep thoughts about God as if we've got to find some subject in Scripture that everybody in the world's just grappling with, and that's what I have to meditate on. Like, man, I've got to reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. I've just got to. It, that's not necessarily what it is. Okay? It's not like solving, the, you know, can God make a boulder so big he can't move it? You know, those kinds of questions that seminarians come up with, you know, when they think they've reached the pinnacle of biblical knowledge and, and all that. No, we're talking about just maybe contemplating and thinking through even familiar texts many times, but thinking in a way that maybe you never have before. One of the best illustrations for meditation actually comes off the dairy farm for me. You get up at four something in the morning, you go over and hear these cows in this stall barn, we called it. There's like 100 cows on each side with their heads facing out, the business end facing in. Uh, my boss is in the, in the middle there, and he's doing the milking while I'm doing the feeding. Okay, and so I'm, I'm laying down silage. I'm laying down grain for these cows, feeding them individually, and they eat while they're being milked and so forth. And after the milking's done, we clean up the barn and everything, and if the weather's nice enough, we send them outside to graze. If it's not, then they stay in the barn. But you know what you'll find most of those cows doing an hour or two after? They're doing this right here. And if you watch them closely, you know what you'll notice? They'll do like this. They're ruminating is what they're doing. I won't go into all the biology of the bovine, okay? But they have like four chambers of their stomach. And so what they do is they are ruminating. They're bringing that stuff back up and they're chewing on it again. They're ruminating. That's really what meditation is. It's being able to internalize God's word so consistently that you can bring it back up. That's kind of a gross thought, I realize, but it's a pretty vivid illustration, isn't it? And you'll be thinking about that for the rest of the day, I'm pretty sure. Okay? The best way to meditate, maybe to select a passage or a verse or an idea from your quiet time or from your devotional time that the Lord impresses upon your heart the most and once you've selected that passage, there, there are a number of different ways to engage yourself on a deeper level. It may be to just rewrite that verse or that passage in your own words. Some find that writing is a helpful form of meditation. Personalizing Scripture is good. Being careful to understand that, that, that Scripture doesn't apply to us in, in every case in the same way that it applied to its original audience. But internalize the Word of God. Pray through the text. Meditation can be a real link to prayer. Thinking and pondering on a verse can feed your prayer life. The Lord can use meditation to lead us to pray for others and pray for them in a biblical way and praying through Scripture. And I would just say this, don't rush. Don't rush. Be patient and take your time. That's where we often falter in this. You know, at our house, like, like a lot of you, we've got like in our pantry, we've got a couple of little baskets there where we keep some snack food, like, you know, some nuts and stuff and th- you know you can just grab it on the go and you can rip that package open and I mean, it just kind of holds you over between meals or whatever it's just snack food right but you wouldn't want to make a meal out of that at least I don't I mean it's snack food but yet a lot of times that's how we treat the bible man we're we're going so much that it's like oh, I'll grab a little nugget here and there I'll read that and then I'm going to run on it you never really sit down and dine on, on what's here I mean, you're talking filet mignon, okay? I mean, you're talking about the best of the best. And yet we many times treat it like snack food. Don't rush. Be patient. Take your time. Sometimes reading less is more. 
that's one of the reasons I would say it's not a good idea for everyone necessarily to read through the entire Bible in a year. Because what you can do is you can quickly go, man, i got to get in my four chapters today or I won't get through this thing this year. And so you're just checking boxes. Okay, I would much rather you literally internalize and live out one or two verses a day than read ten chapters a day. Sometimes less is more. The goal of meditation is to meet with God so that you can know God better. Know yourself in light of who God is. Know God's world according to his perspective. It is chewing on God's word in our mind and in our heart. It's massaging those thoughts and verses into our minds. And we've got some grill masters in our church, and I've enjoyed the fruit of your labor. All right, I love good barbecue. You know that. And I, I got a pellet grill not long ago, and so I've been watching YouTube videos and all this kind of thing on, you know, how, how do you do a brisket? How do you smoke that? You, you know, and, and one of the things that you learn is probably as important as anything else in that entire process is how you prepare the meat before you ever put it on the grill, right, or in the smoker. What, what, do, what, do you rub it down with something? Do you marinate it? What, what do you do with it? Well, meditation is like marinating in the Word of God. It's like marinating in it. And so with that in mind, let's be like the psalmist. In Psalm chapter 77, verses 11 and 12, when he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Sometimes meditation is just rehearsing over again God's faithfulness in your life. The work that he's done in you by his Holy Spirit, and by his grace. Meditation. Number four, what about the extent of meditation? Some would look at this and go, well, I don't know. You know, we can become so, so earthly focused or so heavenly focused and so, you know, holy in our, in our thinking that we're no earthly good. Okay, God intends for us to interact with our fellow man and to continue to carry on the affairs of life and all of those things. But notice what it says here. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but we should meditate on it day and night. Day and night. The phrase day and night is what's called a merism. A merism is it's a literary device that expresses totality by referring to contrasting parts. Okay, Think of uh, Jesus is referred to as the alpha and the omega, right? The beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so what that means is that he is all-sufficient. He is the first and the last and everything in between. He's all of that. And so here the phrase day and night means all the time, at all times. The word should always be in our thoughts. We should always be seeking to grow in our understanding of God's word. And, and what we are after here is a consistent rhythm. Okay? It's not just a, a weekend here and there where we give ourselves to a little meditation. It's not uh, you know, one month on, another month on. No. It, it, it's, like, it's a lifestyle of devouring the Word. This should be one of the greatest passions of our lives, to know God in His Word. I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, between the time that I was an associate pastor and the time that I accepted my first call as a lead pastor, we traveled full-time. And so we had this E-150 conversion van, and uh, my boys at that time learned to read, really going down the road, all up and down the eastern side of the United States. I can remember 
Uh, Matt, particularly in the back of the van going, Baba y Buffalo, says, bah, bah, bah. And, and so we, we traveled as a family, and, and it was naturally expensive. Uh, I was determined that I was not going to be gone all the time and leave my family at home, so we loaded up and we traveled all the way to Bar Harbor, Maine, and many points between here and there. We stopped at a, a gas station, and I'll never forget it was in New Jersey. Gas was especially high, uh, even at that time, and um, pulled in. And this was before the days of pay at the pump. That wasn't so common in that day. And so remember, you'd have to either go in and prepay, and you would, you know, if you normally took 40 bucks to fill your vehicle, or you'd give them 40 bucks. And if it didn't take that much, then you got some money back. And you know, some of y'all remember that. Well, so I'd gone in, and I'd, I had prepaid or whatever, and I went out. Well, I was in the middle of filling up our van, and I'd probably put $15 in so far. Well, in the middle of filling up the van, the pump reset back to zero. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And so I went on, and I put in another 20 or 30 bucks probably to, to get the van filled up and everything. When I went in to pay, the clerk uh, said that I owed uh, a particular amount of money that was actually $15 less than what I had initially put in before the pump reset. My first thought was, thank you, Lord. Um, what, a, what a blessing that I just got $15 of free gas, right? You know? But then something came up. It's a verse of scripture. It, it says, thou shalt not steal. And I chewed on that for a little bit because I was thinking, Lord, we're in ministry. I mean, they'll, they'll never know. They'll never know. I couldn't do it, y'all. And not because I'm some super holy guy. Okay, trust me. I wanted, I wanted to pay $15 less for that gas. But that is sometimes how it works. If you're internalizing the Word of God, and you're studying the Word of God, and you're engaging with the Word of God, and you're intaking the Word of God, it's going to come up sometimes. It's going to give you an opportunity to mull it over to chew on it just a little bit and ask yourself, am I really living this out? Am I really living out the word of God? Again, Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so when you're meditating on Scripture, not only is it allowing you to become more like Jesus Christ, but it allows you to discern when things are not like Jesus Christ. And when you're responding in ways and reacting in ways that are not Christ-like, so many times, verse of Scripture will come back up. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Oh my. <laughs> How many times have I had to chew on that one? That's meditation. Remember, it's a dependent discipline. Dependent discipline. Number five, the purpose of meditation. And this is important. So that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. So the purpose of meditation is not to just fill your mind with more knowledge. Now, the purpose of meditation is to put the truth into practice. So it really doesn't matter how much Bible you know if you don't put into practice what you know. You may be able to quote a thousand verses and explain the weightiest of theological topics, but if you are not living the Word of God, you are on an adventure in missing the point. 
James 1 tells us very clearly that if we hear the word of God but do not practice what it says, we are self-deceived. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you hear his words and fail to put them into practice, you are like a foolish man who builds on an unstable foundation. So the point of biblical meditation is devotion to God. We receive the word because we love God. We're careful to do, the text here says, all that is written in it because we love God. This whole series is really about rhythms that are a consistent pursuit of godliness through a heart that is inflamed for God. That's how we want to be with God's word. It's just part of us. Its wisdom is evidenced more and more progressively in our words, in our actions, in our conversations, in our thinking. That's the whole idea. And then finally, notice the fruit of meditation. The text here says, for then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. This is not lucky charm theology. Well, if I do this, then magically everything I do will turn to gold. I'll have that Midas touch. Everything will be great. Now, if you continue to read in Psalm chapter 1 there, verse number 3, it says, He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. We're talking about prosperity in God's eyes. In God's eyes. So it's this sanctified progression of exposure to the Word. That's what I've tried to emphasize this morning. Not only, uh, not only us getting into the Word, but more importantly, the Word getting into us. And so we expose ourselves to Scripture, we consume it. We allow the Word to expose us. That's where the mirror comes in, and do we live it out? And then as we do, others will be exposed to the Word of God through us. Here's the thing. In the end, we cannot think thoughts of God that are greater than what he really is. He's transcendent. So let's allow scripture to drive us into a deep pondering of God. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Ponder who he is. What kind of God would create the world from nothing? Ex nihilo. From nothing. What kind of a God would part the sea to save his people from sure death? What kind of God would give his own son as a sacrifice so that we could come to him and have full access through Jesus Christ and enjoy him forever? Think about that. Contemplate that. How a poor, wretched sinner like Mike Lovely could have access to a holy God. That's something to meditate on right there. That's something that should transform our lives every day. Earlier this week, I was reading in 1 Samuel. So I was even preparing for this message, and I couldn't help but think, Hannah, Hannah was right when she said in 1 Samuel 2, 2, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Meditate on that. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a few moments this morning, we enter a time of decision. As I often say, every person in the room this morning will make a decision.
It may not be a decision that is expressed publicly or made known publicly, but you'll make a decision this morning as to what you're going to do with what you've just heard. You can choose to ignore it, or you can choose to receive it and apply it to your life. If you're here this morning and you're uncertain about your relationship with God, maybe you're, maybe you're on this pathway of trying to somehow, some way, be good enough to earn God's favor. Contemplate this. Meditate on this. Scripture says clearly it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Think deeply about that. If you're uncertain about your relationship with the Lord today, I would love to, to share with you. I'd love to open the Word of God and show you how you can be reconciled to holy God. Be made new. Be transformed. Not by your own best efforts, but by the amazing grace of God, the power of the gospel. My hope and prayer is that for the vast majority of you this morning, you have turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I, I can say that I, I pretty consistently hear the Word of God and even read the Word of God, but if I'm completely honest, I, I don't study the Bible like I should. Others would say, I, I sure don't memorize it like I should. I don't meditate on it like I should. I don't just want to get into the Bible a little bit. I want the Bible to get into me so that I can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have given us in your word, by your Holy Spirit, everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to engage with your word every day to keep a regular, consistent appointment with you so that we can know you better, know who we are in light of who you are, and view the world through the lens of your word. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.